Welcome back to the Talking Footy podcast. Each week across the footy season, we are talking with the biggest names in the game. I'm Cameron Ling, and this week's guest is former assistant coach across all bar one of my years at the Mighty Cats and current assistant coach of the D's, Brendan McCartney. In this podcast, I discuss with Brendan his early years coaching local footy through to his time as senior coach of the Western Bulldogs. Probably got more wrong than right in the last two or three months, relationship-wise, and got impatient, you know, which probably compromised natural empathy in me. Also, his philosophies on the game and coaching some of the absolute greats. With assistant coach credits at the Tigers and Cats, featuring two premierships plus a year at the Bombers, Brendan was successful in his bid for senior coach at the Western Bulldogs through what proved to be a tumultuous time. Resigning after three seasons, Brendan took up the role of player and coach performance manager at the Demons, but has taken some time to catch up with me where our working relationship began down in Geelong. Welcome, Macca. We're talking footy. Thank you, first of all, for joining us. Uh, thanks for thinking on me. Just let's go all the way back to the start. Before I get to your coaching journey, give us a snapshot of Brendan McCartney growing up as a little kid, born in Nyer. Yep, up uh, in the Mallee. Up in the Mallee. Uh, what was it like growing up? Hot. <laughs> uh, no good for a uh, pale-skinned kid uh, get sunburnt, but I was a brilliant childhood, Cam. Uh, big, there were six of us. Mum and Dad, uh, Mum looked after us and Dad ran the butcher shop with his brother. Uh, a lot of aunts and uncles and cousins, uh, local footy, uh, grew up, as I said, you'd come home from school and you could go fishing, you know, and they were back in the days where people just, you just did what you wanted in the bush, you know, there was no such thing as child safety and uh, if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but we all found our way, but it was a it was a good childhood and we moved to Geelong when I was about 12 or 13 and that was, became a great place to live too. I hated it initially because you miss all your friends and country living, but grew to love you know, the city of Geelong and still reside between here and Melbourne and have loved it every minute I've been in the town. Was it always footy as a kid too? Because your dad played one game with Richmond. He played Richmond. one game at Richmond, yep. yeah. He went down, had a couple of goes. He, he spent some time at the Bulldogs and both, and then Richmond, and both times it was a family tragedy that took him back back to the bush and the family business. And he actually did a pre-season at the Bulldogs in 1954 and, and went home and uh, played practice matches and that was their first until last year their only premiership so he coached uh for a long time in country victoria ultima nia west teams that i don't even exist anymore but uh, he's a great country player and he was also when i think back now he, he understood footy and he taught me a lot about the game that i still use now you know simple decision making and get how to get yourself a kick when you did come to Geelong, you Newtown Footy Club, am yep. I right? A juniors, and then obviously played some senior footy at Newtown Footy yep. Club. Um, not, not obviously when you're a junior, you're not coaching. But you know, when you started playing senior footy, was the thought of coaching ever there, or was it just go out, play with your mates, have a kick because you loved playing footy? That mostly, and then getting to play in really good teams, great teams that were dominant. Uh, Did you play with Matty Scarlett's. Dad? With Johnny, with yeah, Big yeah. Johnny was incredible in football intellect on the ground. He was different, but he he saw the game. He used to commentate a bit like Scarlo. You know, when Scarlo used to commentate around a contest, he'd actually yeah. push people to position. And you just said great footy intellect and a bit different. You sure you're not talking about Matt? Oh, they're both. <laughs> Hasn't fallen far from the tree, has it? I still see Johnny around the town. He's great company. You know, he's worst jokes in Australia, but he's uh, he thinks they're funny. Uh, you sort of laugh at at him laughing, but. Uh, he, he was, but there were some influential people, Kevin Higgins and Huey Strawn, who vastly different people and men, but Huey was uh, more the bigger brother, put an arm around you, but he looked after you. And Kev was a very hard coach, but a great teacher of the game and demanded a lot from his players. So you try and land somewhere in the middle and probably becoming part of the leadership up there as a young person too, as, as one of the very few local kids who came through the junior ranks. Uh, maybe there was that sort of... You know, thinking in me all the way along. I don't know. School while you were, when you did move to Geelong, were you at Chanel or were you St Joe's? No, St Joe's. St Joe's. St Joe's. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't one of their finest products. <laughs> I often say that I got delisted. You know, there's some kids get traded. I got actually delisted. It was like 
Thank you. So I found another home at Bell Park High, which I loved. Uh, three or four of us left St Joey's and um, probably left for a reason. We, I don't think cooperative was... They actually denied that I was an old boy. I turned up at a past student's function and the bloke at the door said, oh, I don't think you're a past student. I said, <laughs> I, said I, I was. And my mate Greg Guy said he was and then they dug it up and... And then I became. There a are senior. records of you. Yeah, <laughs> and then when I became a senior coach, they they welcomed me back into the fold. <laughs> so now I think we both went back to that thing last year where they acknowledged anyone who had had AFL experience on their wall, which is a great great thing to do. You became a teacher yourself. Yep. And that was at Chanel. Am I yes. right? Yeah. Yeah. So obviously went to uni locally. Yeah, but... went to Deakin, and then a, a a great Christian brother called Jim Pitt. Oh, not called. His name was Jim Pitt. He gave about six of us a job. He wanted to re-jig his staff with young people that worked hard and could get along with young kids and he wanted to build a sports program. So he gave us half a day to, to run with kids and teach them the game and engage with them and it became a really powerful sports school and I loved my time there. And he, he actually put us all in positions of responsibility at 21, 22, whereas most schools you've got to wait till your mid-30s, 40, which was terrific for all of us. Is this running parallel with when you then started coaching as well? Not so much. I finished quite early. I had shocking groins, that is, which are now called osteitis pubis, but back then uh, no one knew what it was. Uh, and they, there was surgery and then all that did was make it worse because it shut your groins down even more. You know, and now they strengthen glutes and lower back and you don't need the surgery. So I, I just got sick of it and then I started running. Uh, competitively and love that as well. Which... You were a good runner too, weren't you? Yeah, I could your run. family yeah. was, your brothers? Tony's a good runner, yeah. Tony was a 29-minute 10K runner, which is really offing it, yeah. I ran pretty well, but not at Tony's level, but I, it, it was fun, you know. It actually, a lot, it just built incredible self-discipline too because you, it's five o'clock at night and you, you, you just got to take yourself out and run by yourself and not everyone can do that. And I look back now and I think it... It built or built on a, a pretty strong work ethic, I think. What was your pet distance? Uh, 1,500 3Ks, I reckon. Well, it's a bit heavy for the physically too big for the longer ones, you know. What sort of times are we talking? Uh, 1,500 three, or 3Ks? About four minutes for 1,500. Uh, and I ran about an 8.40 for 3K on a track, which was... That's very good, Macca. It's moving around. I staggered around a marathon and uh, I think around about 2.34 in the Melbourne Marathon. I shouldn't have hung as much on you at uh, training over the years, should I, with those sorts of times? I no. should have shut up a bit more. Oh, well, you just, you just got to be a humble champion, Cameron. <laughs> and I was no champion. That's what we brought you boys up to be. Just, it was easier just to not say much with you boys. You were far greater athletes than I. Oh, I don't know about that with yeah. those times, but uh, teaching and coaching. We've seen so many teachers become coaches, not always it's, it doesn't always work perfectly, but that teaching background that you had, how much did that set up, your, one, your love of coaching, but two, how you then went about coaching young men to become better footballers? Well, I think it's, it builds some um, comfort in uh, speaking in front of a group. So when I first went to Richmond, uh, I'd already had years and years of actually talking to a group or in front of a group and uh, that's something that not everyone's comfortable with when they're young coaches probably when I think back now the ability to break skills or scenarios down and teach it bit by bit and I think the good teachers uh, prepare well and they have a clear vision or picture of what what is important and they simplify it and I think that's one of the great things you can ever do for a, a young player in particular is simplify what's in front of them and then give them confidence that, and belief they can actually do it. And when I think back, the, the really good teachers and coaches are very good at that. You know. I believe you coached a bit of reserves football with Newtown. Yep. But the big, uh, the, not the big break, but uh, your, your big step into becoming a coach full-time or um, a career coach was coaching at Ocean Grove. Mm. Four premierships in a row in the BFL, a highly competitive mm. league. Mm. Uh, any premiership in any level is a great achievement, but four in a row. Uh, why, one, why was the Ocean Grove team so successful and what did you do well as a coach that then led you on to the, your further coaching? Uh, probably aligning the club from the juniors up. They'd always been a club that had 
uh, yeah, quotation marks, great kids, and then the kids would go to Melbourne or they'd come in and play in Geelong and then they'd recruit people and then they'd realise we spent all our money and they'd get on that cycle, eight, ten-year cycle, and that can be hard to stop and all of a sudden there's 50 years of your club's history gone. So we just invested into the young kids. We went to the Little Leagues. Uh, we took players to clinics. Uh, we, I think we created a pathway where all the young kids who were serious about their footy stayed there and then went on and played in premierships and some went to play in the GFL or other country leagues but they generally all came back. So I think that was the one thing we did and we probably developed a brand of footy that was pretty hard to beat. You know, there was always, wherever there was a contest, there's always a lot of Ocean Grove people there. Uh, they, they simplified it. They all went hard at the ball. They gave the ball first option. They tackled hard. They put enormous pressure on them. When the ball spilt, they're off and running. And, and then we were really fortunate to have a guy called Alan Patterson and Brett McTaggart, who were great, uh, played in elite footy at a high level, come and live in the town and play for chicken feed, really. They just wanted to go up to training on a Thursday night with their kids and have a few beers and run around on a Saturday afternoon. And another guy called David Ramsey, who's really successful Geelong businessman now who protected all the young kids you know whenever there was a dust up Ram, Ram sorted it out and whenever there was a big moment in a final it was always him right in the middle of the pack so I think that was that was important and we, we probably built a club that um, had fun you know for, for country footy when I think back now it was a lot of fun and there was you know a lot of beers and a lot of downtime but they took training and they took Saturday afternoons pretty seriously. It's the balance, isn't it? Before we get to the AFL stuff where it becomes super professional, at, at a local level, ultimately, the people who turn up to play want to have fun. And they, it's a social outlet, plus it's a, a physical outlet for them. How you balance between having this fun, relaxed environment with, well, let's do what we need to do seriously. Mm. Uh, some clubs get that horribly wrong and uh, it's either too serious or it's too much of a party. Yeah. Yeah, Fine it's line. A, it is, and it's... I always felt that the boys who played in the in the reserves or the 12 o'clock game, so I always used to talk about, you know, our club would be judged from 12 o'clock till 5 o'clock. So we always prided ourselves on at that club that the reserves would play a good brand of footy and if a young player was playing well in the under-18s, he would come up and he would build his craft in the reserves against men and if he earned a game, then he would come up. And that sort of broke a bit of tradition because back then it was uh, you played under-18s or you played senior footy for some reason. It made no sense to me. Uh, you know, you'd throw young kids into a senior game and if they weren't ready, they've had no build-up step. So that's what we did and uh, they all learnt, I think even if they were playing in the in the Magoos, as we used to call them, that they were valued as, as club people and whenever there's a reunion down there now, they, they still all, they all get there, not just the guys who played in senior flags, the whole lot. And the reserves became, you know, they won their fair share too. They were a really strong part of the club. When there's a reunion, are you just treated like a... God down there? Do they just uh, love Brendan McCartney when he arrives in Ocean Grove? Nah, it's a long time ago. <laughs> no, nah, it is. It's. Uh, I live in Bowen Heads now, so it's... Oh, the Battle of the Bridge, the yeah. rivals. Well, they might hate you now. Oh, no, no, I sort of... No, I just respect it, you know. But no, uh, there's some great personal friends out of that time. Do, during that time, obviously a successful time for Ocean Grove, did you always have one eye on trying to go higher uh, you, you then went to Richmond after that was there always one on I want to test myself as a coach at a higher level probably not no I think I just sort of didn't concern myself too much with it I think people must have thought that I'd done a reasonable job so Richmond sort of spoke to me and the job appeared from there but I was probably just going to go in and coach St Joey's at that time uh, and not think any more of it you know I'd probably thought five years had been enough down there you know I was I was pretty firm coach and straight to the point and I thought maybe... Yeah, were you a grumpy coach? Uh, only when certain behaviours were present, <laughs> you know. A bit like I'm still probably pretty strong on those behaviours and, and they're the same behaviours that you value as well, you know, that, that drive great footy teams and good footy clubs. But I maybe voice it differently now and um, it's a different generation. But A bit more patience now. Mac more patient. Yeah, no doubt. I've got a different role too now. I sort of one out one back so you can you know you're not <laughs> sitting in that seat with the camera on you and the and the you know the whole club sitting on your back how many years at richmond two two years yep. coaching the reserves yep. what did you enjoy that time what did you Loved learn love that time yeah it was a multitude of experiences from people who benny gale or scotty turner some of those guys coming back from injury or got dropped dealing with them justin charles after you know pretty public um, misdemeanor you know 
trying to get him to love playing footy again and um, enjoy himself. And then there was Brad Ottens at the other end and Greg Timmendale, who were young kids, you know, just starting out as fresh eyed. And Otto, in particular, was a prize draft pick and clearly, you know, incredibly talented young player. And history showed what he created down here. So it was that. And then some weeks you'd have eight Tac Cup kids because you remember back in those days, under 18 boys would would used as top ups. There wasn't that development squad that AFL clubs now have at VFL level. So I remember one game coaching and uh, introduced 10 under 18 boys to 10 Richmond blokes before the game. And we still won by a point. It was just, so it was a variety of, you know, and then there was the strong development arm, you know, actually working with people that were out of the team or needed to add some things to their game to play AFL footy. Remind me, the senior coach at the time was Jeff Geeshan. So did you have a, close working relationship with him too I did yeah it started I went to see him I had wanted Mick Turner wanted me to present in a level one course and it made me really nervous because I was presenting to blokes who just left AFL footy Kenny Hinckley who you know I've now worked with and great mates with he was in the group and I went bloody hell what am I what am I going to say to these blokes you know Uh, so I rang the footy club and asked if I could speak to someone and Geesh ended up being that person and he liked what I already was going to talk about and he added a bit of structural stuff that uh, we were teaching a brand of footy down there but structures and kick-ins and centre bounce plays I just said look just go where you think the ball's going and do your best you know which I still think is not a bad way to play sometimes um, so that out of that became a you know and but also Ross Lyon was there at the time as an assistant uh, Tony Jewell was there a famous Richmond identity and Alan Joyce so there were some really good people to to learn from. It was a they were a tough group of coaches too. They put a I thought I had a hard edge on me, but they put a really hard edge on me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I blame them for all the sprays that we copped over the years. No, so. <laughs> <laughs> After that, the Richmond Geelong, they've just appointed a new coach, Mark Thompson. Uh, Gary Ayres has, has left. Uh, there's, I take it, did, who approached you at Geelong uh, to, to get you across there? Do you remember Bomber that ring. Bomber? Yeah. Bomber ring, yeah. So was it, was it straight away you and Bomber had a strong relationship or did that take time? Because I, I dare say over the time at Geelong, you and Bomber had an incredible relationship. Yep. Was it straight away strong or was it just a, a, yeah, it was a pretty, slow build? No, it was pretty good. Yeah, he, he, he coached us pretty hard too. As coaches when we got there he coached the players hard as you well remember because uh, that was your first go in 1999 which when it really the, the whole place started to, that was the start of the build really wasn't that year and so he, he was firm with you guys and his demands and your preparation and behaviors but he was also he coached us very hard too and with how good a coach was bomber incredible yeah incredible why uh incredible capacity to to evaluate a player's ability to provide output and what their end result would likely be and then to be able to marry up the behaviours that would get the best dividend or result from that player's talent and a simplistic yet incredibly intricate ability to understand the game and then teach it for a for a guy who'd never been a teacher he could explain footy like no other and I still remember you boys all in his office and he would it'd be a VCR it wasn't sports code on a Mac like it is now and he would be just teaching little snippets of the game and he I, I know you guys realize now but he was ingraining us as coaches and he was also ingraining things that were critical to footy in you boys the outnumbering and um the unwavering attack on the ball and and a, a commitment to defend you know a, a willingness to back yourself and play you know if you could see a free player take it but we both know that he is intricate and Far, far footy fetches his mind can be and creative, he always still brought it back to the simplistic way of playing, which is, I think is a genius in itself. The, the most recent memory of Bomber for a lot of the footy public out there is the, I suppose, the, the strangeness of some press conferences during his time at Essendon and the fact that he'd, he'd be playing some games with the media, which I took as him trying to just... just to create some fun for his players um, within Essendon and everything they were going through. But you talk to some people in the public and they say, was Bomber Thompson even a good coach? You know, he seems just weird. To then hear you talk like that, and I have my own opinion on it, and and they probably it marries up very well with what you're talking about. 
him as a player who, uh, as a coach, sorry, who was able to turn a, a very average list and an average performing team at the time into one that had genuine success, that's an unbelievable skill, isn't it? To be able yeah. to have a big picture, yep. but then also teach it step by step. Well, if you look at, if you go through the AFL, you get the media guide out and you go through every coaching group, go looking for how many people there are who've been part of or highly responsible for a total build of a list that becomes great and, and achieves the ultimate success and multiple times it's a pretty small group uh, there's very few coaches have that foresight and the ability and very few clubs have the stability and the desire to see it through uh, clubs now they panic and they start trading uh, they they stop playing young kids uh, they say, well, you can't find good kids at pick 50 or 60 or 70, which is absolute bulldust. You can if the right program greets them when they come in the door. Uh, there's not many. And he is him and Clarko. There's, there's, it's hard to find too many others, isn't there? You know, there's, And Leon may prove that, that at GWS he's certainly well on the path because he's been there through the journey. But it's a small group. I do remember you saying, and I think I've heard Bomber saying it too, that... You fought more with Mark Thompson than you did with your own wife. And Mark Thompson said he fought more with you than any other person in his life. Yeah, possibly. Is that, is that accurate? Uh, I mean, a great, I'm, I'm talking in a great relationship yeah. perspective as well, where you could have, have it out of bit. Oh, we'd challenge each other. Like, as I said, he coached us harder than he coached you boys because he knew that he, he needed a program where if he wasn't in the room, he knew what was being taught. Or if he walked past and I was doing some edits with Tom Harley or Corey Enright, that he had, he could, he'd, he'd sometimes wander in and watch two of them, but he had no doubt what was being taught and what was being required. And then game day, he knew the behaviours that we were driving as a coaching group reflected his. And that's not a dictatorship, but you have to have that. You, you cannot have five differing views game day, and you can't have half a dozen differing views on how the game should be played. You know, you may discuss it and then you all formulate. And then when you get to match committee, you might have different views. But when you walk out the door, that's the team that's playing this week. So he, yeah, we did. We had our moments, but gee, we had, you know, we, so probably 2007, we didn't say much walking onto the ground, but we both sort of knew we'd been there from day dot and we'd, we'd had some great days, but we'd had some pretty tough days too. Well, two th 2007 was a great day, a great year. Uh, 2006, talk about clubs potentially balking at the journey that they're on, either from a coach's perspective or the playing list. It got close in 2006, didn't it, for Bomber to not be there. Perhaps assistant coaches would have gone as well. Some yep. players gone as well. Uh, Collingwood are going through their review at the moment now, what they're going to do going into the future. Geelong certainly went through that. Can, do you have any recollections of that time and how hard it was for you as a coach to concentrate on your job of teaching the young players, but understanding that who knows where we're all going to be next year? Yeah, it was. The, we didn't do a lot of coaching that year. We actually, I don't know if you remember, we, we actually realised we probably hadn't trained hard enough for a couple of years. So we started giving you boys a pre-season about round eight. I don't know if you remember it. There were some really tough Wednesday sessions. We, we actually started training on a Wednesday and it was brutal. It was like pre-season training and which didn't thrill you boys much but we actually learnt to to do more work that we we understood that we could handle more work and not break and get there on a weekend and we moved quickly out of probably spending more time around player management to let's get these boys as fit and strong as angry and as competitive as we can because there's incredible that, talent here that's a big risk though because yeah. that potentially means games get lost throughout the rest of the year which potentially leads to Bomber losing his job yep. or you losing your job or anyone losing their job in order to get a longer-term gain, which was going to help us in the years yep. to come. That's a brave call. That's what make. we did. And we we made sure that when we picked teams, we played people where we wanted to play them, who we thought would take the club forward. But I think apart from that, I don't think we did a lot of coaching. I think I know I spent a lot of time trying to help keep the place happy, keep you boys as happy and settled and you weren't you weren't a settled crew because everywhere you went you were getting picked at you know like we're underachievers we choke we do this we, we're not up to it party boys any label that could get put on a player group got put on 
Um, you know, none of us could coach. None of you boys were ever going to be the right sort of AFL players, and the club would have another period of you know disappointment. But we, what enough of us knew we'd seen what you boys were capable of because the year before in 2005, West Coast nearly won a flag and we beat them by 70 points at Kidinia Park right before the finals and thrashed them. And you can't do that if you're not potentially a fantastic team. So, I, and I know, I think our players, you know, you boys have to take a lot of credit. I think you got to a stage where you, you didn't want to let each other down anymore and you embarked on a journey that the more we give each other, the, and I think, for me too also, I think everyone realised that Brian and the board were really prepared. They were serious about winning and being great with the staff they brought in and uh, they actually started to put some great people around you guys. As a co, maybe this is more moving into the uh, the more successful era, 2007 uh, onwards. As a coach, and, and, and a lot spoken about Gary Ablett Jr. and Steve Johnson and these sorts of magnificent footballers, but concentrating for a second on maybe some players you loved as a coach, Joel Corey, Max Rook, Corey Enright, these types of players, how did you balance at training those players who pretty much wanted to kill most people on the training track. They were so competitive and just wanted the ball versus, well, we need to have them playing well on a Saturday as well. What, what's that trick where you, you want to let them loose and let them do what they do and go nuts, but understanding that uh, we still need you to play well on Saturday, plus we need your teammates who mm. you're potentially going to hurt right now. Yeah. <laughs> throw the ball, don't throw the ball to them. <laughs> so you remember all those drills, the 5v2, 3v2, the contest method drills, which I still believe are the most important, apart from fundamentals, are still the most important thing for a, especially a young player to learn when they come into the system. So you just learnt not to throw it near rookie or start him off the back. And I think there were times where I'd say, rookie, you can't go into the drill until I say go. But for all that, you know, I've never met more three more competitive people than Ablett, Johnson and Chapman. You know, they were lauded for their skills and their finish and their ability to tip but they were hard well tell me how you tell me how you coach those sorts of guys because they are geniuses yeah but they needed management as well mm. they needed support they needed a cuddle sometimes they needed a whack sometimes but what they could do ultimately on a big game in a big game in a big moment was something special that most couldn't do how do you coach someone like that uh they needed to be listened to uh, all three of those three boys in particular if you didn't listen to them if they thought you weren't listening or hearing the message they got very frustrated and and uh, all of them would get almost emotionally upset you, you've, you know them you know if they thought they could help the team by being in the midfield and they thought you weren't taking that request seriously they actually took it to heart so it was listening to them and I think we had a co- well actually I know we had a coaching group that catered for all personalities we became very good at that and Kenny was he suited he, he was he was like them, you know. Here's me, a little battling country bloke who who loved to death low-maintenance, high-return people yeah, because they're your favourite type of people and you were one of those. We had 80% of our playing lists were, they were. They took no maintenance and they gave great output and we had 20% who were high-return but took a bit of maintenance and Kenny was fantastic and Bomber was brilliant with them too and between us... I, they, and it was part of the theatre too, you know. I think they played better if they were, you know, aggravating. And they actually, they liked it, you know. They liked, I think they thought they kept everyone on their toes and they probably did. Oh, they certainly did. They, did. they kept you on your toes and Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but they could do some special well, stuff. Oh, you know, when you, like, I, I just don't think, even Chappie, you know, the, his ability to play, he was a phenomenal player, you know. And that's, he's probably got overshadowed by Stevie and, and Gazza, but if... He, he, he played with him. He was a mighty player, wasn't he? Ablett somehow has found some space. At the last minute, Zach Dawson spills it. But a clever soccer by Scarlett to Ablett from 18 metres. He drills it long to the tip of the goal square. Big flyers wanted. Varco. Handball's over. It's a snap by Chapman. And Chapman's kicked the goal. Competitor is certainly how you describe any of those guys. Yeah. Unbelievable competitors. And tough. They were hard, too. Yeah. Gaz was hard. He was. He, he's yeah. hard. He, he went at the ball hard. Well, can I just quickly fast forward? I'll come back to where your next part of your journey. Gaza now, just the talk of his legacy being affected. He's 
you know, even people alluding to the fact he, he doesn't want to play through injuries because he just wants to protect his own body and everything like that. How do you find that sort of commentary around one of the greats of the game? Don't like it. I don't like how we kick people when they're down. And I think we've got short memories. I think we, are, we have a capacity when someone has a bad week or a bad month, that's it. We, and it happens even, and it's right through society. So many people go and watch a young player and they have a bad 10 minutes. Well, that's their perception of that player for six months or two years. And it's only been 10 minutes, you know. They, so straight away, every, they're waiting for them to make a blue and make a mistake. I, I don't like it. I, 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 I think he should come back to Geelong and finish his career here. Uh, he's, he's just been an incredible player. And I don't think people understand how good a bloke he is too. He's, he's just a great little fella, isn't he? Yeah. You know, he's got a heart of gold and he loves all you boys. He, he still has a great love of the cats. Um, he, he made a decision to go and play somewhere else and we all respected it. You, more than anyone, drove that. You, you understood why he was doing it and supported and you were fantastic with anyone who left the club, in fact. So yeah, I don't like the criticism and I don't buy this stuff that he's not playing for any other reason. Yeah, if he if he was right to play, he'd be out there. You know, he lives for Saturday afternoon, doesn't he? He certainly does. Yeah. He just wants to play games. Yeah, he does, yeah, he lives for it. Hi, sorry to interrupt. Emily Angwin here. I just wanted to remind you of some of our other episodes of the Talking Footy podcast. There's Bob Murphy. We got belted and we walked into the change rooms and on the whiteboard was two lists of players under the headings conscript or volunteers and I was under conscript, didn't know what it meant and thought, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> Justin Kaczynski. Driving down Punt Road now, I still have an empty feeling at looking at the ground and I... I hope that goes away sometime. That ground and that space holds a, an empty mm. hole in your heart because of losing grand finals there and so narrowly. Matthew Richardson. Everywhere you look, there's premierships and when they start talking about finals and premierships, you sort of just go to the back of the room and get a cup of coffee because you feel like you can't talk about it. Well, you can't because you haven't been there. <laughs> to be honest, I'm getting sick of hearing about all their your... premierships. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Make sure you check them out and be sure to leave us a review. It's easy. Jump on iTunes, search Talking Footy Podcast and give us a rating. Also, feel free to let us know who you want to hear from next on Twitter using the hashtag TalkingFootyPod. Thanks for listening. I'll let you get back to it. End of your time at Geelong. A highly successful time. Um, unbelievably fun times and uh, can reminisce about those all day. But the next step of your journey was to Essendon. Uh, Bomber went to Essendon as well. well. Given how successful you had been as a coach at Geelong, um, why did you make the move to Essendon? Primarily two reasons. Uh, I felt through 2010, you boys maybe needed a different voice and people around you. It had been 11 years, a long time. Our message, as uh, simple as it was, hardly ever changed. You know, we added some run and carry and we changed our terminology but the fundamentals of our game didn't really change and it was a strength but a potential weakness uh, so I sensed that and probably you know I got pretty close to the job at Port Adelaide the senior job and that was the feedback that I interviewed incredibly well and came across the right way and speaking with Cookie they were probably going to go a different direction you know and, and it wasn't a sooky thing it was like well maybe and I spoke with Kirst my wife and said well why don't I look at footy from another perspective and met Hurdy and I was incredibly impressed with him. You know, I didn't know him from a bar of soap and he loved how he played and respected him enormously. But he, he said, look, I'm going to need a lot of help here and you're probably just your experience. But to be honest, I didn't know Bomber was going to Essen. As close as we were, he told no one. Um, he And I I think he was a bit the same. He wanted you boys. He always said to me, he, wanted, he didn't want you boys to have the same coach your whole life. And he often said that. I'm sure he said that to you at times. And uh, so I think that drove that. But I, until he, he did, I had no idea he was going there. Um, Your recollection of time at Essendon, brief, well, not that brief. Yeah, 12 months. 12 months. Yeah, I loved it. You loved it? Yeah, they, the players were fantastic. Uh, we, They craved um, probably what some of us bought with us. Uh, Simon Goodwin was there at the time. They... They craved his knowledge and understanding of, you know, Adelaide are a strong club and he was such a respected player in the game. 
uh, our, our time at Geelong, you know, the experiences we brought with us. And uh, they were a young group, incredibly talented. That year they, they beat Geelong, who were unbeaten. They beat Sydney. They beat some some really strong clubs. They had some bad days too and got beaten by bottom teams. But that's the journey of a young team. But uh, it was a big club, so it opened my eyes to uh, the the persuasiveness of corporate groups and supporter groups. Uh, I think we were pretty protected at Geelong from that. I think we were a country town and Cookie so good with governance and driving message and keeping people in line that we never had really had to worry about. Whereas Essendon were, were that and uh, the crowd, the passionate supporter base. So it, it sort of opened up and Hurdy probably, so a lot of the skills that I thought I had pr- probably allowed me to flourish even more. So from that point of view, I, I look back really fondly that 12 months. Were you surprised with what happened next at Essendon after you left? Did you see, was, was there signs that that had the potential to happen, that no, the, the terrible no. saga that they went through? No, no. What drove James as a player was that insatiable drive to get better. And it, there was an impatient element to it. Uh, and I think there might have been some impatience, but no. You know, we, we both work with Dean Robinson. You know, we can't speak highly enough of him, the work he did with you boys and what he did in our club. So when, but when you're not in a club, uh, you, when you leave a club, and, and you would have found that when you retired, you, you don't get excommunicated, but you have no idea what's happening inside there. You might get snippets and you might sense things, but you don't know. Uh, and I was gone to the Bulldogs. I was too busy anyway, to be honest. I was, went from 70 hours a week to 150. <laughs> How would a football club... This is the last one on, on Essendon before I get to the Bulldogs. But how at a football club does someone like Stephen Dank end up having such an influence? It, it, does it happen at, at other clubs, but it doesn't go as bad as what it did at Essendon? I mean, or was just Essendon, was their setup wrong at the time to allow? Possibly. Yeah, I think I do know that the presence of a really strong football manager is critical. Uh, they've all got different styles, but. That they, they have to be. I think they need to be a football person. Number one, understand footy at this level, for around uh, what a good team looks like and what a great group of players and coaches look like. But they also need to have pretty clear governance, and uh, and it should always be set up that the footy manager, yeah, nothing gets through unless it's on. His, and I think we've now got that. Yeah, if anything, that situation. But but to be honest, I think you could write three books about it. You could make three films, four documentaries, you could put a TV series on, and I still don't think everyone will fully understand all the things that were at play. You know, there was AFL, there was Clubland, there was media, there were just so many, and I don't even understand it. And I know Goody particularly well and love working with him, Bomber. Uh, I, I have no idea what happened still. Do you, I know I said it was the last one, but unbelievable relationship with Mark Thompson. Over that 12 months, you would have built strong relationships with a number of the players. Are you shattered for those people that you had strong relationships with that they had to go through that? Disappointed for them because they're a, they they a good group of boys, the Essendon boys. You know, we work with two of them now, Melky and Hib, uh, Michael. They're just, Paddy Rye, they're just great boys and they, they'd sort of been brought along a little bit and they grew so much in that 12 months. They, they were becoming a fantastic footy team. There were times in the next that 18, 24-month period where they, they could beat anyone. They, they had a lot of talent. And you can see now they've still got that residual talent. It's been topped up a little bit by some really good drafting by Adrian. Uh, yeah, probably they probably were good enough to maybe win one in that, that period. So, yeah, you get disappointed for them, you know. But you, I don't look back too much, mate. No, you can't look back too much. No. But I, I'm going to look back to the next chapter yeah, in yeah. Your, your coaching career and your <laughs> life. Appointed to the, as coach of the Western Bulldogs. Um, a great appointment for those who, who knew you and, uh, and saw that you could grow that young list and, uh, and turn them into a success. What were your first impressions of being a senior coach and the Western Bulldogs? Uh, probably being a senior coach is you, you're prepared for it, but no course prepares uh, you for, for the job. Uh, it's impossible because... It's incessant. There's, it's, it comes from everywhere. The request for your time, and, and that's okay. I was fine with that. And then, we, because we were, not so much because it was the Bulldogs. We at that point, there was a hybrid team. There was those great older guys that had had a lot of success, 
and got very close. There was also what is always in a club, people that are hoping to get somewhere. They're not sure if they belong, if they're good enough. So they're in and out. And then over time we added what's been proven, some just extraordinary kids, and then trying to embed a game style and wed that to what they'd learned in the past. Uh, and probably the one thing that did weigh when I look back now was uh, this desire to win a flag, you know, it had been so long. So, but I was okay with that too because we'd had a Geelong yeah, everywhere you went. I just want to see one before I go. So, well, I don't know when it's going to be, but we think we're building a, a pretty good team here. And probably, and I think this is what wears young coaches out, it's, it's the corporate stuff and the incessant questioning where you get where it's rarely ever about how the team's progressing and how the game style's evolving. It's about this player or that player or what you're doing with this player. And that... And sometimes those players are giving you the irrits, you know, but you you got to defend them to the hilt. And and people are going, come on, mate, you know, just tell us the truth. Well, you can't. You've actually got to, you know, defend them. So, 168 hours in the week. I I hope my maths is good. I think that's seven times 24. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> I hope. Yeah, it's pretty good. How many hours would you spend in those early days of senior coaching? We joke, oh, you, you work 150 hours a week once you take a senior coach, but but what sort of time does it take up? Everything across either thinking about it, the corporate stuff, um, media stuff, the actual coaching, the meetings, everything. What would you be spending per week in those early days of being a senior coach? Oh, I'd be three figures, I think. If you if you also tap into downtime, you might be in the car going home for 40 minutes, but it's phone calls, it's thinking about footy. And I, I think back now... I don't think there's any other way to do it. If there was, I, I think people would be bottling it and selling it. it you just, especially, and, and I think back to when we started our journey at Geelong, we, we worked just as hard back then. You, the game's different now. You've got better teaching resources and video stuff, uh, computer stuff and whatnot, software, but I'm not sure you can do it any other way. Alistair Clarkson couldn't do it any other way right now. He'd still be he doing be. those sorts of hours. Yeah, he would be. Because you see, as a senior coach, you I think to do it properly, you've got to take the game and watch it maybe two, two and a half times. So you might watch it initially half back just to cement game style situations that you might need to reinforce or, or correct. And then you almost need to watch it again for player behaviours. You know, notice, hang on, there's something there that, gee, I haven't seen that in that kid before. I like that. Or, no, we need to, our Ruckman's in the wrong spot here. We don't need him in the corridor. He's got to get down the line for us. So then identify that and then um, and then you know align your coaches it's but key is staff people around you, you, know, you, you as a senior coach you should one thing you should not have to worry about is high performance medical recruiting it, sh- it should be just a well-oiled machine is that the gem of footy who should be overseeing those areas and making sure they are absolutely spot on potentially or a really senior football person like I'm doing with Goody at the moment so if there's something that... So for me, my week is... My absolute mission is that all he has to worry about in a week is the game and the players. And that might be 30 players, might be 28, might be 35. And if I think someone's sort of been left out in the woods a bit, bring him back in and put him in front of him. But uh, that's what my week revolves. And I think having... And I don't, I don't know how many people like me are, are available in the system, but that type of person is critical because you general matter of manager now is a lot of governance player payments uh, just day to day you know you've only got to get two reports in a week and there's two days gone so it's it's a lot of administration stuff you're a highly competitive person uh, I'm almost nervous asking this question because <laughs> but if you go purely to a win-loss record if you as senior coach of the Western Bulldogs and people out there they will all have their say they'll say Oh, you know that didn't work. Brendan McCartney wasn't a, wasn't a good coach of the Western Bulldogs. How did you see your time as senior coach of the Western Bulldogs? Probably got more wrong than right in the last two or three months. You know, relationship wise, and uh, got impatient. You know, which probably compromised natural empathy in me. You know, I know I'm straight to the point and, and strong with people at times, but it's always from a place of care. And, I, and I've always, you know, and I, I have so many, and I think 
you know, I look back on 20 years of footy and there's probably less than two hands full of people that might go, oh, I'm not sure on him, you know, there's that I've worked with. Uh, the majority have enjoyed the interaction. So that that sort of relaxes my mind a little bit. But we we lost six or seven close games that year. And if you go back through every bit of data, the oldest trick in the book to fall for is a team that wins games at the end of the year. All of a sudden, they're the next team on the rise. No, watch for the team that loses a lot of close games. So we lost, might have been seven games that year by 10 points or less or 12 points or less. One, seven or eight. So it was nearly a 13-game season with an incredibly young group. And we made we, we made some decisions, whether I voiced it the right way or did it the right way, that were for the long-term benefit of the club, um, stockpiling draft picks and playing kids. And, you know, the money wasn't there for free agency. The money wasn't there for trading. But we, we went to the draft and we we got it got it pretty right, I reckon. Uh, certainly got the drafting right. When you talk about that impatience in yourself... Is that because of the win-loss record? Is that because of feeling the pressure of having to win as opposed to, well, I, I've got freedom, perhaps that's the right word, to not win now knowing that we're still going to get to where we, we want to get to in the years to come? Did, did you feel uh, the heat of the, the no, win-loss? No, and it wasn't contractual because I was told that, you know, the Bounty, uh, that I'd be coaching the next year uh, and that, you know, that the journey was, I was on the journey and, and I was driving it uh, primarily as a senior coach. So so what what happened then? If you were coaching next year, what happened when it all ended? Uh, I think there was some player disgruntlement because of my direct approach. Uh, I, you, know, you know, when I think back to 2006, you asked me that before. Uh, we, Cookie reviewed heavily and he asked a lot of us, I don't, I'm sure you were part of that process. And the last question he asked all of us was, do you think Bomber could coach? And to a man, we all said, yes. Yep, there's some changes in our footy department needed. He might need to do some things differently, and he did. Uh, I don't think anyone was ever asked that. Could I coach? Uh, they might have been asked, you know, has he been a bit abrupt? Has he been a bit full on with his message? Do you feel that you haven't been given enough time with the senior coach? But I don't think too many were asked. Can he coach? And I can coach. I knew I could coach. I don't, certainly not asking for names here, but, but are we talking senior players who felt like they were being moved aside for the younger players coming through in the growth of the list? They, they were the disgruntled ones? And maybe a couple that weren't offered contracts to the level they wanted. And uh, Ryan deciding to leave, you know, for whatever reason. Um, I'm still probably a little bit in the dark, to be honest on it. Um, but I respect the fact that as a grown man, he made a decision. That seems that was the tipping point for it. Because um, the middle of that week, I was still coaching uh, from the top down and then I wasn't. So uh, but that's that's footy. You know, there's there's a couple of things that I, that I do differently now because of my time. And I've got a really high level alert internally for me on it and and in other people because it it's not the best way to do it how long did it take that the few months after all that was it just a feeling of anger was it disappointment more reflection you know when i think back now if i had my time again i would have reflected more day to day minute to minute or even conversation to conversation i think that's critical because you're involved in so many interactions with people that just walk away and find 10 seconds. How'd that go? No, I need to give him a call. I need to go back. Or, no, that, that was all right. I think we're both on the same page with it. Is that a sign, just a small snippet of the change of generation of yep. players and people out there that you needed to learn, perhaps, and others have got to learn, that you could talk to Matt Scarlett one way. You perhaps can't talk to a player who's now 23, yep. 24 now. No doubt the same way I think it's also absolutely 100% right in, in fact I think the only real clear messaging that's impersonal now that works is selection with the majority of young players you know your behaviours will determine whether you play or not and um, it's it's a natural tendency for young people if they do feel pressured to retreat into the corner and become a victim and think that it 
this isn't my issue. The coach is too hard. The coaching group's too hard. Um, I'm not strong enough. No, hang on. We we believe in you, son, but the, this isn't changing. We, we need these behaviours. We're going to work with you. Uh, and I think selection's only the only way of doing it now, reinforcement and contracts, because um, it's not... It, and you said it beautifully. That makes sense. What yeah, I yeah, yeah. But isn't it difficult though? Because not everyone can be selected. Yeah, People are going to miss out if they don't like. Yep. That what's is. happening? Does it then? Do they just pack up and go home? Well, it's happening a bit more, isn't it? Um, you know, in the end, if you had, if you're a dad now and your boy was about to embark on a ten-year career, I think in your heart you actually want him to have some hardship. You, he needs to have experience the ups and downs and work through it and look himself in the eye if that's possible we look at yourself in the mirror and go no i've got to get better at this you know this isn't a coach being too hard or a coaching group demanding something these are the minimum standards to drive this team and club and i've got to come up to the level Uh, i don't and that's not happening a lot i think there's so many influences at play now with parents peers supporter groups managers where there's an easy out for for people and but that's that's the landscape we live in too. Fast forward a couple of years for that point that we've just been talking about. The Bulldogs win their first premiership since 1954. A magnificent day, an unbelievable journey from seventh place. The final series they had, Luke Beveridge has done a fantastic job to, to bring it together and win it. What's your feeling like on that day? Happiness for the players? Bitterness because you wanted to be the coach? a bit of both what what are you feeling combination it was certainly happiness for the club probably though uh some of the senior guys you know dale morris boydie just to see that and probably a little bit of fulfillment that we we thought we were teaching these young boys we thought we'd got the right young boys in and the right behaviors and a brand of footy that wins in september you know that incessant pressure game and hard running tackling strong over the ball game simple but brilliant and does the competitive part of you say that you could have got them there uh probably yeah i didn't i probably had to be honest and i'll share this with you it was probably i had five minutes by myself when the siren went where i was a little bit melancholy not bitter or angry or or just more gee you know But they don't miss out. Their day, their year, their joy. But then I've been brought up, get on with it, you know. Like uh, the, pre- the present's what it is and the past is history, but the future is magnificent. So, uh, you know, I, I, I moved on pretty quick. But, but I probably what struck me was it's almost like there was some acknowledgement but for a while there I probably thought well I've been struck off the register that I sort of never existed in Bulldogs history well you know I know I left behind a really good footy program a really good group of coaches uh, clear recruiting philosophy which has been you know built upon on recruiting I'm just interested just to sidestep for a second uh, think of the players who were recruited with the the early draft picks or even all the draft picks during your time how much say does the senior coach have over the specific players that are picked or is it more that you want that type of player, whoever, whoever best fits it? It shouldn't be draft day. The, you know, the less it should be... And we had some of those picks. We had really... Simon and I had strong conversations around him or him based on the values and behaviours and the leadership qualities that I saw in some and not in others and then weighing that up against talent and what they would eventually become and in the end you, you hand that responsibility over and you should otherwise well, why have a recruiting team but your best work is done early and Simon and uh, Hutto and Jace McCartney and I we spent a lot of time formulating okay what is what does a premiership team look like what what do we need in certain areas of the ground what's the style of play what type of people can deal with footy and deal with big moments you know and deal with setbacks let's go looking for them and you know me very well that uh, I have a love of people that are competitive and and I if you try and do it with non-competitive people you you're going to fall short and if you if you fill your team up with people that don't have intensity well that's what you'll become and if you but if you fill your team up with team first selfless people you got a good chance of becoming that so 
because it, it, it's always we, we think recruiter selects them and you're saying they do certainly draft day they then go and pick the best player that fits what you have discussed in the past selections of the likes of Bont and Pally, the combination of Stringer and McRae the competitors of Dalhouse and Clay Smith and these sorts of players to me looking from afar had your fingerprints on them as the type of player mm. you wanted at the club I think but we we probably landed in the same spot together as a group we and I still look back fondly I love working with those those boys they were terrific you know and we would discuss things and push and it, that's something I learnt from Wellesley too we we had some big drafts and that, those experiences invaluable later in life we had those big drafts but it wasn't all we just said right we're going to draft Jim Bartel you know there might have been four different opinions and in the end we all got it back to it's the best fit for us now you know so uh, there was a bit of that and uh, there's also some ones around the edges that it turned out little beauties too. That, but you know, Scotty Clayton brought some of those people in, and Rodney E did develop some of those. So it was, and I and I think the thing that got lost, Lingy, a bit was that the Western Bulldogs really effectively started to rebuild that team halfway through 2011, because those prelim teams by the end of 2011, start of 2012, there was only about six left. So that that rebuild was five years. They got there quicker than most do, but it, there was a lot of work went five years before last year, but. F- but don't get me wrong, I'm not taking any credit away from those players in the club and what Luke and the coaches did. You know, it was a magnificent effort. You then moved on and no doubt, as you said, mixed feelings for a while and, and could have been forgiven for saying, well, maybe I just step away from coaching for a little bit because I'm, I'm frustrated. I, I didn't achieve what I wanted to achieve, but took on the role at Melbourne. Um, a, a development focus initially... Um, and now, as you say, sort of making sure that Simon Goodwin can concentrate on coaching. Has that reinvigorated your love of coaching or did that love of coaching never disappear despite the uh, the harder times of it? No, it never disappeared. Uh, you forget about the nuts and bolts of it when you're not doing it for three or four months when I stepped away. But as soon as I got back, the first session I got back there, they were doing a drill and they were all just hanging around the contest. You know, There was no opening the ground up and I... I didn't realize I found myself barking at them, not barking at them, and saying, "Hey, balls one, get out of there!" And Goody's he laughed. He just said, "Didn't take you long," because I, I said I was just going to actually watch and wander. Uh, and then it was a development role, but it was, but I was sort of finding myself picking up people that were in and out of the team and up and down. And uh, and I thought, to be honest, when I go back to the Bulldogs, I thought that was something I did extraordinarily well for two and a half years. And then maybe I dropped the ball a little bit on those ones that were on the periphery. And you can't do that. It's it's critically important. It's something that I always prided myself on. You know, where's the next player coming from? Who is it? So I found myself doing that, but at the same time, being allowed to help shape a game style. It's clearly evident now that Ruzi had sort of started to formulate, and Goody, now Goody's been formulated by you know his philosophies, but predominantly probably Bomber and I have shaped, you know, how he sees the game and what he values. The group that you see now and growing the likes of Clayton Oliver, Jesse Hogan is a 40. I mean, I understand he's had an extremely tough year. Frost, McDonald down back, Hibbert coming in after the suspension. The elements there, do you see this Melbourne team growing into a genuinely successful team? I think they'll be extraordinary. If if the club manages it right, and that's, that's always a big if. So a big part of that is stability, which is there. Uh, continuing to strive to put the right people in place, look for ways to get better, uh, do things in a way where there's parity so that players aren't out of whack with each other and there's a kindred spirit. If all those things happen, I think they've got the capacity to be an extraordinary team. And I've always believed great clubs are built on turning pick 50 and 60 into fantastic long-term players, you know. And Any, Any of those right now? Well, Jaden Hunt, Jaden Hunt, one. Yeah. Uh, Oscar McDonald's one. Uh, I think there's a couple of Category B and rookie picks who will end up very good players. I'm watching this young kid run around at centre half back in the VFL, Declan Kelty, who no one would even know. Just mark the ball. Just tall backs who just jump up, mark the ball, and kick it to their teammates are pretty valuable. So uh, the the development program there is is exceptional. It's as good as it's probably the best I've seen. You know, only because 
we've evolved, I've evolved, you know, you learn more and you do it better over time. So we think we trained up some extraordinary young guys down here and then the Bulldogs and it's it's happening again. Now they, potentially they are an extraordinary, extraordinary team, yeah. That's exciting for Demons fans. Exciting for you, I can sense. Yeah, it's good fun. You love it. Yeah, Is, let me see Chris Fagan now uh, taking up a senior job at Brisbane. It has done all the roles really right from his time in Tassie right through his journey through the AFL is senior coaching something that is a, will be again on your radar or do you see it not happening I'm not sure if it'll happen but yeah I think I could do it I know I could do it and do it better uh, but they don't give them jobs out to just anyone you know I, I've spent a lifetime honing skills that allow you to give you the tools for the trade to be able to do that job. Do I think I'm a better coach than I was four or five years ago? Yeah, miles better. Uh, and you'd, if you've got half a brain and respect, you, you learn from things you haven't done as well as you should have or could have, and, and I've done that. But, uh, yeah, I, I do. I'd, it'd be pretty cool. It just, But it, it's more... Co- being a senior coach, is it's not about you or what you can achieve. It's that just love of building something. I love building things and helping people build something and, and seeing the joy on, you know, I've, I've grown to love. What, the one thing I've grown to love about the Melbourne Footy Club is the MCG when they win. And the the members' side, it's just a brilliant thing to be part of and enjoy. And I don't think many other clubs, it's just incredible. You see it at West Coast and Adelaide, the place erupts, but it's just in different joy because they've had such a, a tough time and it's that's what drives me I, I love seeing people love what's seeing what's unfolding it's funny in our industry we're so quick to move on and, and, and forgive me for this because I don't see it this way but people would say oh Brendan McCartney didn't work failed at the Western Bulldogs senior coach therefore shouldn't be considered again but you go worldwide and you look at mm. pro- possibly the greatest coach in any sport in the world uh, mind you uh, Sir Alex Ferguson may have an argument yeah, yeah. with that Bill Belichick at the New England Patriots, five-time Super Bowl winner. He failed. First time he was a head coach. I think it was Cleveland he was coach of. Failed miserably. But got another opportunity and learnt from it and has turned into one of the greatest coaches of all time and certainly one of the most competitive sports of all time. So just because a period doesn't work doesn't mean it should be wiped off. And, and that goes – I'm not just talking about you there, but – other coaches, uh, Matty Knights, briefly at Essendon, didn't work out as a senior coach. Doesn't mean he can't coach. No, no, I, it's absolutely right. It's, it's, it's a funny. Uh, I don't think we'll ever be able to explain it. There's a sometimes there's a groundswell for certain people and personality types, and it goes up and down. But the the really good clubs, they sort of know what they're looking for and what they want in a, in people in senior management, whether it's the footy manager or head of list management or your senior coach or senior assistant and then they go right who, who fits that so there's clubs out there at the moment there's one in particular I think there's some certain th- key things that they need which I think I've got you know but I think Michael Voss has probably got it too and Brett Ratton and Matthew Knights there's, there's probably 10 of us that have got it and there's maybe another 10 young assistants that have that have got it it's uh, being in the right place at the right time and having enough people think you can do the job you know, but I, I don't listen to the external stuff. You know, I know the one thing I do know, Cameron, is um, I'm respected in the industry for what I stand for and uh, what I contribute to the game. And, and that, in some ways, whatever happens in the next five to ten years till I, they get pushed me out or I get sick of it, that that's more important. Yeah. I've taken up almost too much of your time, but I'm just we're going to always finish on a couple of quick questions sure. with our uh, with our podcast here. Um, and I'm just going to fire, it, fire them at you. Who's the best player you coached? Ooh. Matthew Scarlett. I thought you were going to say that one. Tough, though. <laughs> You've coached some good ones. Yeah. Who was your favourite player, as a kid more so, to watch growing up? Lee Matthews. Not a bad one. Mm. <laughs> Biggest lie the media have ever told about you? Uh, that I supposedly said some things to players at the end of my time at the Bulldogs. Yep. That upset me greatly because it 
wasn't true and it painted me a certain way that I'm not. I didn't enjoy that. What is your favourite coaching cliche? <laughs> uh, go over to the ball and get in at it. <laughs> or it never, maybe that and also uh, it'll never go out of fashion. This, this, what we're talking about here doesn't go out of fashion ever. Last time you cried? Uh, probably when my grandson was born. I didn't let anyone see it, but... What was his name? What's his name? William. William. Yeah, I'm going to babysit him today, actually. Oh, yeah, every Wednesday I spend the afternoon with him. He's a, How old is he now? 17 months. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Where do you see yourself in 20 years' time? Oh, <laughs> probably wandering into the diggers on a Friday afternoon <laughs> about 4 o'clock to have a couple of pints with you, hopefully. Uh, probably just either living in Geelong somewhere, nice and quiet and with some good friends or still in Bowen Heads, you know. Final word, if you could change one thing about footy, what would it be? Stop changing the rules. Leave them. It's funny how that's a fairly regular theme throughout these podcasts. Yeah, that's, they're making it too hard for the umpires. It's too hard. The job's getting too hard for them. It's not fair to them. Well said. Macca, thank you very much. You have had a big influence on a lot of people, myself included. I am uh, I'm an unabashed fan, but a lot of people, and right back from Ocean Grove through Richmond, Geelong, Essendon, Western Bulldogs, Melbourne. You've obviously had a big influence on, on a lot of young men and I thank you for your time. Thanks, Cam. Good on you. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Talking Footy Podcast, please make sure you leave us a review. It's simple. Jump on iTunes, search Talking Footy Podcast, give us a rating and tell us who you want to hear from. And don't forget to check out other episodes, including my chats with Jimmy Bartell and my old skipper Tommy Harley. Keep checking in for a new episode every week. Talking footy.